Today's episode is also a video interview that you can find on my YouTube channel. Look up Eric Hunley. And if you want to, there's also a live stream with Norm Pardo, and I brought an FBI agent, Jim Casey, who's challenging him on his assertion. That also can be found on YouTube, along with other fantastic live streams with other amazing guests. Again, youtube.com slash Eric Hunley, or just go to erichunley.com and it'll take you right there. For now, I give you Norm Pardo. My name is Eric Hunley, and this is Unstructured, where we have dynamic and formal conversations with some amazing people. Today, we are joined by Norm Pardo. Now, Norm Pardo is a fascinating person, I would say, what would I call you, Norm? A filmmaker or a publicist or entrepreneur or a mix? Uh, a little of all. <laughs> I'm mixed. Just I'm a mixed breed. I, okay. I do a little bit of everything, but mainly I'm I'm PR. People come to me if they have problems. Okay. Are they specifically just in general? Hey, uh, help me raise my profile, or are they? No, it's like in response, hey, like they have a like problem. I, and I'm like, uh, I'm a preconceived murderer. Can you help me? <laughs> well, yeah, we're, we're getting to that. It, was that a standard thing before now? Yes, that's basically what people, they would come to me if they have their issues. Okay. And behind the scenes, I fix issues. Or if they're running for political office, I've helped people that were running for president. Mm. They just behind the scenes, that's how I work. I tend to make things happen. But you're not like a Roger Stone. No. <laughs> you're not a, no. a trickster, per se. You're just somebody who... Um, I just, helps. I think, out of the box in a big way. So when businesses are struggling, they're dying, I can go in and reorganize them, help them, and turn it around. Hmm. I took my own company public. When you've done this, have you gotten pieces of those businesses? No. A lot of times, to be honest, probably 90% of the time, I'll help businesses for, for nothing. It's just my give back, especially hmm. mom and pop businesses that are struggling. If they call me, I'll go in there. If I don't have to spend a lot of time, it's just what I do. So you have fun with it. Yes, I enjoy it. I enjoy the challenge, just like with OJ. Anybody who can challenge me, that's what I want. I really am not interested in the, oh, my businesses, can you do it? No, give me a business totally dying, <laughs> and I want to turn that thing around. I've had newspaper chains. I helped this one small newspaper chain. We doubled their revenue in six months. And that's newspapers, which is a, you know, was considered a dying breed. Still are. So, so everything is possible. I just like to think out of the box. And I, that's what I do. Like with OJ, everything I do, I think out of the box. I'm not like the other consultants, I guess if you would call them. So that leads us right to OJ. From what I understand, you wound up with helping OJ on a bet. Yes. Wasn't really helping OJ. I just, it was a bet that, you know, I, I told him, I, just like I told you, uh, I made a gentleman's bet. I was goofing with my attorney and said, I don't, you know, I can fix anybody or anything. It was just a thing. So he brought me over OJ Simpson and basically said, what do you think of that? <laughs> and what did you think? Uh, a preconceived murderer, all around bad guy. That's a toughie. But I took it because I'm like, I'm not afraid of that. So I had to look at the positive and me and OJ went out our first day and it was a pretty cool thing. Our first night after I met him and we had drinks, we both drank so much that, you know, we couldn't walk. It was that bad. I kept asking him, did you kill all those people? And he kept asking me, what do you want from me? 
what are you trying to get out of this? And I felt comfortable at that point that I could work with him. The biggest problem we had was that from that moment when I kept asking him, do you kill those people? He should have said no, but he never mm -hmm. did. He always said, you don't want to know what happened, let it go. Is that what kept you stuck to him? Yes, because I'm like, what do you mean I, I don't want to know what happened, let it go? It should have been, no, I didn't kill those people. I didn't know what happened. So I knew he knew something, but whatever it was, he said, just let it go. You don't want to know. So he was a little bit afraid of it. Okay. Now, how long were you with him before he went to prison for a while? Started in 1999 when I first met him up until he went to prison in 2008. And I still called him in prison. So we still okay. communicated when he was there. Or he called me from prison, I think. So we had to do that because of the other trial in Vegas. You know, I was right. working on a trial in Vegas trying to figure out what really happened there. Okay. And from what I understand, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, the trial in Vegas was essentially punishment for him being found non -guilt, not guilty in California. Yes, that's correct. No matter what was going to happen there, even his own attorney turned on him. Wow. That's happened before, though. Didn't you say that his own attorney interviewed the killer and then let him walk out? Yes, that was during the first trial, but that was, a, I think that was, it, it was, they had no choice. The prosecutor interviewed the, 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 the killer the first time, uh, the, I mean, the California DA did, mm -hmm. uh, and they basically gave him a plea deal to get him out of town. We've got all of the files from him proving that he was interviewed by the California DA, and OJ's own attorney in a newspaper article, if you Google it, also interviewed him regarding the murder and said no way that the serial killer could have done the murders. He wasn't in town at the time, mm. even though our investigation proved for a shadow of a doubt he was in town at the time. So I think they had to get him out of Basically, if they would have gotten that guy and said, okay, he's the one who actually did it, then he would have told them that OJ was with me when it started. I see. So there's no way his attorney is going to bring in somebody that's going to put OJ at the crime scene. I see. So he had to try to imply and say, look, look, there's this guy, there's likely this guy, but not say who the guy actually was, or it could come oh, back. Oh, no, they didn't up. even mention that. They went out and strictly interviewed him and said, no, he couldn't have done it. That guy could not have killed him. Even though the, 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 the sad thing about that whole guy was the California DA interviewed Glenn Rogers as a possible suspect. Well, at the time, he was going under the name Mark Peters or James Peters. Uh, a gentleman he had murdered back in December of that, uh, 93. Mm -hmm. And they all interviewed him, but he was already wanted for murder when the California DA interviewed him and let him go. This is what, okay, that confuses me right now. And I did want to visit it because you covered it in the movie, but I feel like it's a big thing hanging out there. Yeah. Why would they let him go if he was on the FBI most wanted list and or is it they didn't know he was the same person? They were interviewing him as his alias, and they were dumb? I mean, I would have thought on? that, too. But the court documents that we pulled up, because he gave me the number and said, if you look at these documents, this will prove. He sent me a letter that basically said, if you want to know what happened that night, pull up these records from the California DA. I did a complete interview. He said, so don't take my word for it. They have a recorded interview of me and that thing 
back in 94. So when I pulled up the records for him, they're sealed because he mm. was an informant, but they had Glenn Rogers' name on him, not Mark Peter. Right. Now, he wasn't the only person who was marked as an informant, though, in this whole situation, was he? No. All of the files are sealed. That's the that's the strangest thing about this. His files are sealed. Uh, Ron Goldman's files are all sealed. Nicole's files are sealed. So was pretty much an OJ, some of OJ's files are sealed. So you can't really open up any of the files. They're all sealed by basically the same California DA and one judge sealed all the files. Gil Garcetti would be the DA, the father of the current LA mayor. Yes. So that's why you can't open these files because he sealed them. Now, the only way you can really seal a file is if, you know, the, the rules are very simple. You have to be a witness to something and somebody's life could be in jeopardy if those files are open. Mm -hmm. Well, there's nothing in any of those files that wouldn't make anybody's life in jeopardy because Nicole's dead already. So there's nothing in there. Unless there's somebody else involved, like uh, in your movie, you had, was it, Dodie Fayette. What? Yeah. But that's kind of off the wall. I know. You haven't heard of that one before. <laughs> we didn't even know that was there until we met a lady. Actually, when we were going to put out our movie, we were at the uh, the movie festival in California, the big one, uh, AFM, American Film Marketplace. And we had a booth there, and we were going to put out our movie, and we had a, 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 you know, a little trailer there. And a lady actually came up to us and said, I need to talk to you. She said, I've been looking for you for years. She said, I was out with Nicole the night before the murder, and I know what happened. And so she actually gave us a complete taped interview, which we were lucky enough to be able to put into the movie part of it, where she explained that she was out at the at the club, and Dodie Fayad was with Nicole. Nicole was, first there was Dodie Fayad, and then there was Glenn Rogers, and then there was Nicole. And she pinpointed Glenn Rogers and described him to a T, including the shoes he was wearing. Mm -hmm. And she described the shoes as being Bruno Mago. Oh, really? So, I mean, she was... It was very, it was amazing, really. And this was without telling her anything. She had not seen our movie. We didn't have it out. So she had not a clue what was going in the movie. She just wanted to tell a story. And she said, I have been crying and I've been afraid for all these years. She said, because she really thought, because during that meeting they had at the at the club, I wasn't there. So this is all just mm -hmm. everybody. Uh, Nicole was talking about picking up drugs in front and with Dodie Fayette. So, so he was using potentially? Yes. Uh, I, no. I think it was a bigger shipment of drugs. It wasn't just, a, you know, I'm going to pick up an ounce of drugs. She was talking about I had to go to Washington, up to Washington to pick up a load of drugs, and I'll be back. Really? Was she a mule? Uh, <clears throat> no, I don't think she was. I think the problem that people had, or, or a lot of people, was O.J., you remember the 911 call when he said, I want all the phone numbers to all the drug dealers and prostitutes hanging around with my children. That's what started this whole thing. He was looking for the drug dealer, and that's why they you know, went after Ron. But Ron was he worked at a restaurant. He didn't have the kind of money it would take to buy that much cocaine to be supplying. So there had to be somebody there that had more money and clout to do it. So was Goldman dealing or no? He, I mean, he was an informant. He was an informant, and in, in my opinion, he was part of the dealing that was going on, but I think he was just one of many that worked for somebody higher up. Go to their house and pick up the drugs to sell. Okay, so a low-level dealer. Yes, because he didn't have the money to be a high-level dealer. And the, the, the weird thing was when the interview happened and they said that Nicole said she was going to Washington to pick up uh, the stuff. And then the next day, Ron said he was going to go over and drop off her sunglasses. <laughs> and he had a meeting right afterward at the, at the, at the marina which was an hour and a half away from there. And I was thinking to myself, that was one of the things that one of the biggest clues we got is, okay, he had to meet two guys at a marina. I think it was Delray Marina. I can't remember. Yeah, I think that was it. I'm not for certain. Uh, but it was an hour and a half walk away from there. Remember, he didn't have a car. So how would he leave the, the restaurant, 
say, I'm going to walk to Nicole's and then walk an hour and a half to this other meeting. So it gave us a big clue that he had a ride. And if he had a ride and he'd say he rode with you or a friend of his, mm-hmm. what happened to them while he was being murdered? Why they just vanish unless the person that was riding with him was part of it. In the movie, you have a confidential informant who seemed to be a witness of what happened. Was there a, a physical witness? It wasn't a physical witness, uh, but the person who did it talked a lot. Every one of the, all the information that he had, he tended to spread around. He was bragging. Okay, because I, I was looking at him like, well, wait a minute, this is like, being told from the perspective like somebody who was there watching this happen. It was from somebody who was there because it was the guy who did it, Glenn Rogers. Glenn Rogers tends to talk a lot, and he loved to brag. And he talked to you. Yes, and, and sent me letters. I mean, there was a, there was communication between me and him. I needed to know if he was just another one of his theories, you know, because sometimes mm-hmm. people, oh, he just wants to be famous uh, or whatever, you know, because people that. I got people because I was the, the go-to guy for OJ. What made me, gave me the ability to solve this was the fact that I was the go-to guy for everything OJ. By being, quote-unquote, his manager mm-hmm. and being the one that everybody knew, go to Norman and you can get to OJ. All of his friends would call me. Everybody who ever had anything to do with the murders would call me. People would call me and send me terabytes of information regarding other murders. Didn't really pertain to his, but said, well, the guy who did that one, I can show you where they buried other people. And so they were basically just filling me full of stuff for, what, 10 years, 15 years. So it wasn't just I had to go out and get it. They just did a story on me. Once a month or two, I'd be in the Inquirer. (laughs) And every time a story would come out, people would call me and tell me different stories of what they know. Like this is, you know, I want to tell you a story. This one guy called me up and said, I just got to tell you this one story regarding a shotgun. Marcus Allen came over to this guy's house and gave him a shotgun and said, hold it during the middle of the trial. It was a, a nickel-plated shotgun. Mm-hmm. And the guy he gave it to was one of the witnesses that was to say OJ had a violent temper. And he said, I was at that guy's house, and he showed me this nickel-plated shotgun and said, you're not going to believe who gave it to me. So these were little pieces that people would give me that I could put into the puzzle. Very interesting. You were telling me, uh, as a matter of fact, um, we talked before about Glenn Rogers and his family, that... I think you had a term for the family. Well, <laughs> I looked at it sort of like the devil's rejects. It's still working in America, but, you know, allegedly. <laughs> you know, okay. so I don't want to get, you know, too many people angry with me right now because, you know, there's some people still out there. You know, I don't I don't think that Glenn Rogers did ever all the murders himself. Looking at what all I've read and what all I've seen, I don't foresee that. But I'm not, I can't say who did it because mm. of liability. And that's why I would like to have turned over all this to the to the feds so they can dig the rest of it up. I'm Glenn Rogers all the way down to his baby picture. Right. You've said that you have identifying information about other potential victims that you have tried yeah. to give to law enforcement. And what has happened? Wants to hear about it. So I can't seem to get them to listen, even though I've got social security numbers, birth dates of different people that he just had notes down and gave to his mom and said, don't give this to anybody. So it makes you wonder, who are those people? Are Have they you looked dead? them up? Yes, but I can't, I'm not, you know, it's hard to go that direction. I'm not that, you know, I don't have the equipment that the police would have. Well, I, I understand. I didn't know if you maybe were able to contact their families and say, hey, by the way, talk to your local law enforcement. I don't have the rest of the information I need. I mean, I could, but I'd have to have my investigators start working on those cases and They'll keep going on and on and on. I've got two people that's buried behind the bus station in Vegas. 
that I've got to go up there. And I was thinking about going up there. And I, even a friend of mine said, why don't we go take a tractor and dig it up? Because he's told us where the bodies are buried and just go up there and try to find them. But it's not my place really to travel around the United States and dig up bodies. What about the press? Could you tip off the press in the area and say, hey, there's two bodies buried behind that building and the cops are covering it up? Well, I don't know who's covering it up. I think they just don't want to hear anything about Glenn Rogers. And a lot of the stories, you know, may not be true. But the ones where I have the social security numbers and birthdays, I think those people need to be checked and find out how he, why did Glenn Rogers have those in the first place? Is it possible Glenn Rogers then is maybe a little like Henry Lee Lucas, where, yeah, he killed some people, but he also liked to take credit for others that he may not have killed? No, I think that he, he killed people and he just wants the credit for the kills he's done. You know, his biggest kill was Nicole and he's not getting any credit for it. You know, it's sad. <laughs> he's very sad, right? He's like, my biggest kill, and here O.J. gets the credit for it. And was acquitted, which is interesting. Well, he's blamed for it, but he you know, was acquitted for it. But, you know, I don't think O.J., and this is my whole thing on that one. After looking at all the information I have, I do believe that O.J. was there at the beginning of the fight with Ron. But I believe that as soon as O.J. got cut by Ron, he left. That's why he got the blood drops from there all the way to O.J.'s house. Uh, so I don't think he knew what really happened to Ron, or the fact that Glenn went back two hours later to kill Nicole. Right, and that that's different than the police and the theory on trial. The theory on trial is they were together and killed together, right? Yes, but that's totally false. When when they, they had a witness actually come by that was in front of the house at 1030 and said there was no blood in the sidewalk, nobody was dead then. They should have took that as a clue. Ron wasn't killed on the sidewalk. He was killed in the bushes. That's why there was no blood on the sidewalk. Right. So they would not have been a body there at 1030. So when you add up all these little pieces, it makes better sense. When the police got there and they said there was ice cream still melting on the banister. Well, we mm -hmm. did an ice cream test. I know that sounds silly, but we put mm -hmm. a, a bowl of ice cream on a banister and let it sit there. And within 45 minutes to one hour maximum, that ice cream was total liquid. It wasn't melting anymore. It was just liquid. Mm. So there's no way. So when they got there, I think it was at 1230, you got to back that down. That means she was alive at 1130 when she put that on the banister. So there's no way she could have been killed. That's why all of this stuff was changed. Uh, I've got the phone records from Nicole. And in the phone records, they're all doctored up. There's actually squares put in there where you can see where they change the number. They made just one big mistake. I don't remember the exact time, but it was like it, uh, the dates were wrong. It was like, uh, I don't have the dates, but it was like April the 1st, April the 20th, April the 22nd, and then April the 32nd. Yeah, I'm like, what do you mean 30 seconds? How do you put that on a, on a bill? <laughs> There's no 32nd day in that month. It was June, June 32nd. I'm like, how you? There's no June 32nd that this phone call was made. So you could see that it was all doctored up. They changed the times, they changed the dates, but somebody was just silly and put in the wrong date. Phone records, they couldn't prove. See, that phone records was the problem during the whole trial because they were trying to prove Nicole wasn't killed then. <laughs> and that phone records was the only thing that, that did it. But if you go back and read some of the stories, Nicole's mom said, oh no, she, she talked to her at this time at 10, 15 or something. Then she said, well, maybe it was, no, she first she said it was 11 she talked to her. Then she went back and said, well, maybe it was 10.30. Well, maybe it was 10.15, because she had to back it up to match the time Ron was killed. Right. And then they just moved the phone records to match it up. Now, before we go too deep in it, is it possible that it was just a smudge and not a doctor? No. 
No, I don't think so at all because it's too blatant and all of this stuff was changed because it said at 10.30 a.m. and then it went 10.35 p.m. and then 10.36 a.m. So you can't smudge the p.m.s and a.m.s on the other side too. They didn't even get those right. It was just like somebody threw it together fast. And during the trial, which was a very interesting spot, when they were, I think it was Cochran was asking about the phone records and said, you know, because they're like, we're, they're going to put this into, into the evidence and whatnot. You know, uh, uh, Cochran said, well, which, which ones could I have or whatever it was? And then the one uh, person spoke up and no, I think it was Cochran who spoke up and said, which phone records are we talking about? And then the other person said, the one that we just gave you, because hmm. one the 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 lady that was taking the records said, which phone records are they talking about? Because there was two phone records. They were arguing over which one they were allowed to use, basically hmm. the doctor one or the original one. And that's in the transcripts and in the trial. So the, the phone records were a question from the beginning. Uh, Cochran asked them, they said, can we use these phone records for our thing? And the lady said, which phone records? And Cochran jumped up and said, the phone records you gave us. <laughs> you know, how many are there? <laughs> so it was a comical thing. It's like the one you gave us. Because <laughs> they were trying to figure out which phone records are you going to be able to use. That's how it went. It was a comical, not comical in the situation. That's why I don't think they knew anything happened. He got cut, ran out of there. Ron just does what he does. I mean, you know, not Ron, but Glenn. You know, Ron, in my opinion, pulled the knife first. I think when, when O.J. and Glenn pushed him over into the bushes, threatening him like this, like O.J. always does with his finger, mm -hmm. Ron pulled the knife out, and that's how come O.J.'s finger got cut. I think mm -hmm. Ron cut O.J. first. O.J. ran out of there, basically leaving Glenn. Because the way the whole conversation went was Glenn got mad because O.J. left him there to hold the bag. That's why he went right. back and killed Nicole. From what I understand, and I think what you've said too, though, Ron Goldman was not a slouch. He was a pretty tough character. Yes, very tough. As as the as Glenn Rogers said, he said they kept hitting him and he kept getting back up. He wasn't mm -hmm. just going down. So that he, and he injured Glenn quite a bit too, right? Yes. The next day, Glenn Rogers called in his boss, which we have a letter from his boss that states he had to miss work because the ceiling in his apartment fell on him and he was all bruised up. So he didn't go to work. He worked for a paint company. We have his uh, W two forms and everything where he was going on name. Uh, Mark Peters or James Peters that's on a, his W-2, the guy he killed a few months earlier. Is that part of what made you feel there was a problem with the story that even though O.J. would be seen as a football player quick and strong, Ron Goldman is quite tough, and if it was Nicole and Ron, how could he get a hold of both of them, subdue them, and kill them within one setting? Yes, especially me knowing O.J., there's no way O.J. could – honestly, O.J., had bad knees back then. He could barely walk. It wasn't like he was gonna run, jump over any fence. He didn't get his knees until he just, uh, I think about a year before he went to prison in 2008, he got new knees. Let's dig into some speculation. You mentioned uh, when you started your film that you've gone around for 20 years armed. So you just kind of wanted to do a power dump, if you will, and figured if everything's out there, you're safer. Is that a fair analogy? Basically, yes. This is. What it is is what it is. No no reason for anybody really to come after me now because I've said it all. There's a lot of people that, you know, there's a lot of haters out there. Uh, you got a lot of OJ fans sure. who are appalled that I would come out and basically prove OJ's innocent. You know, it sounds weird because I did prove that he was, he was there, but he left. 
So he didn't kill him. I proved that part, but I can't prove that he wasn't there at the beginning because he was. And to some of his fans, you know, he has a tendency of talking too much. You know, I had this one guy, it was funny, this one guy called me up and said, uh, Norm. Like, yeah, I'm going to tell you his name. He said, out of courtesy, I want to give you a heads up. OJ told me he wants two people taken care of, and you're one of them. He said, I just <laughs> want to let you know a courtesy call. <laughs> it was cute the way it happened, though. It was even funnier than that, because it called like 2 o'clock in the morning, mm-hmm. and my wife answered the phone. And she's like, I don't know, it's some guy on here who said he wants to kill you. Would you want to take the call? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, give it to me, because you get these death threats all the time. So I'm like, yeah, give it to me. I might as well talk to him now. So I had to get up at 2 o'clock in the morning. And then he starts going, I'm like, yeah, 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 kill me and all this and that. And I'm like, would you please call me back in the morning? Because my wife was bitching at me in the background. And I say, if you, if, if, if you don't understand, she's going to kill me now. Nobody's going to kill me later. <laughs> and then he called back the next day. It was sort of cute because it was he wasn't a bad guy. Mm-hmm. You know, and some of the people I know called him up and said, leave me alone. So it did go through the system. Whichever system that would be, but odd. Um, well, it's just the system I had to live in at the time, you know, between Glenn Rogers and, you know, the people he knows that are still out and some of the killers that work with him are still available. And he got really angry with me in prison because I, you know, I wanted information. And that's the way I wanted it. I said, I want the information you've got. If you don't give me the information, I can care less if they fry you. Mm-hmm. It was very adamant, you know, because I had to be that way. So a lot of his people got angry, and then you got OJ's people getting angry. Then you've got the drug people getting angry because they think that I'm going to bring out the stuff I never even brought out because I tried to keep it away. You got the Kardashians, which had an entire one-hour show on me. I mean, they're all about the movie and how I was a terrible person for putting stuff in there about them. I'm curious about that in the sense that, okay, why is yours more dangerous? Because a lot of this is out there. For example, I know that a book was written in 2012 about Glenn Rogers potentially killing Nicole and uh, Ron Gold. Yeah, but it wasn't really about potentially killing her. That that book was basically about you know, all the other murders, and they just threw that in there. Mm-hmm. It's a one word. <laughs> like, and he claimed to have killed Nicole, and, and they moved on. Nobody went in depth like I did. You okay. Know, I had all over dig up everything. Nobody went regarding Dodie Fayed uh, or the Kardashians or Robert Kardashian or the, 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 the person that, you know, Robert Kardashian allegedly <laughs> hired the first time to follow Nicole. You know, it wasn't, Glenn wasn't the first person. If you watch the movie, it was uh, the first person was William Wass, who they all tried to debunk, say, oh, that's impossible, that's impossible, uh, mm-hmm. discredit him. But his story added up. Because we checked it all out. Well, we checked it out thoroughly. Because I didn't believe it at first. Okay, I actually had interviewed um, one of the other authors, and he had mentioned that Glenn Rogers was a member of the Hungarian or Armenian mafia, or you know, worked with them. Now, is it a stretch to say that Kardashian is an Armenian name? And mm-hmm. was there any alleged? speculated organized crime ties through Robert Kardashian. Well, if you go by William Waz's testimony, he states in a letter that he met at Robert Kardashian's house to do the job. And Robert Kardashian went in depth regarding his connections with that. 
and tried to scare him. And said he was so scary the way he was, this is going to happen to you if you don't do what I say right. You don't double cross him. Could he? Very well. I, you know, I can't say he didn't. I know that he was a very powerful man you know, that had a lot of connections. Yeah, and I, I find this kind of odd because Robert Kardashian has been gone for many years now. I mean, he died in what, 2000, early, early oddies. And yet the, the name and the power is he, was he a behind the scenes type of player? Like you said, you were here with his. Yeah, I think he had a lot of connections, made things happen. And then everybody got what they needed. And he it's like OJ, OJ wouldn't have been as what he was without Robert Kardashian. Robert Kardashian gave him his first thing when he brought him into an R&R record. It was uh, their first big deal. Made OJ a lot of money. Then gave him other things. They opened up a juice and a bunch of other businesses together. So they had tendencies of opening businesses. Can't really talk too much about them. That's the problem we're having with our movie right now. We're banned in America with my movie because of the power they have. I was told this by one of the biggest networks. One of the things that you had talked about is that Kardashian, Robert Kardashian, had a conflict with OJ towards the end before all of this happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, possibly being an affair between OJ and uh, Chris Kardashian slash Jenner. That's what OJ told me, and he also told another one of our friends. That's why if it was just me, I would say, well, maybe it was just a story of making up. But another one of my friends called me up and said, Norm, we are just talking. He said, remember that story OJ told us about being in the jacuzzi with, the, you know, with Chris and standing up there, and he pulled his shorts down, and her eyes bopped out of her head, and he went into detail. I'm right. like, yeah, that's that's exactly what he said. And he had to take her to the or they, you know, she had to go to the hospital that night. It was a terrible thing. And right afterwards, Robert got a divorce from her, and, and OJ got a divorce from Nicole. Well, you see, this I is where I'm finding it odd. Why then would Robert Kardashian potentially be helpful to OJ, or be against Nicole when he? He and Nicole technically were both victims. I don't think he was helping OJ. I think he was just, this is my opinion. I don't think he was helping OJ. I think that he was helping OJ get into trouble because nobody helping somebody would have hired William Waz, if that's true. And nobody in telling William Waz to do what William Waz said in his uh, letter to the judge, he, he, he said that in his proper, that Robert Kardashian hired him. And then it went on to pay him money to kill Nicole. OJ's friend wouldn't do that, but somebody who had a you know a, a, an issue with OJ would. And why would he drive Paula Barbieri's car to the the guy who was? He told William Waz, this is what was in the in the proper. He said, I want you to go to this place, pick up Paula Barbieri's car, go follow Nicole around, and then afterwards he said, I'm gonna give you this much to kill her. That's what he said in his proper. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that's what he said. And then actually the guy got into an accident in Paula Barbieri's car. You can check it out. The records are there. So this guy who claims he told him to take Paula Barbieri's car and do all this stuff was actually in an accident in Paula Barbieri's car with a notebook with all Nicole's whereabouts in it, a 22 caliber pistol and a crack pipe. So I, at first I was like, that's just a story. But then when it was in the newspapers and everywhere that he was busted for that, I'm like, why would Robert Kardashian say, take Paula Barbieri's car, OJ's girlfriend's car and do all this other than it could lead back to OJ? So could I speculate then that Kardashian was a master manipulator or or just he knew OJ well enough? I think you said earlier that OJ had a problem where his mouth always goes off or he gets himself in trouble because he has, I don't know, poor impulse control. 
Yes, he has a tendency of just he won't he won't OJ doesn't have a temper per se where he would hit you. I tried to get him to hit me numerous times. <laughs> you can hear it in my tapes where I'm I'm just you know bantering if you're trying to get him to go and he just wouldn't pop. Because I wanted to know, does OJ have an anger issue enough where he would jump on somebody? And I couldn't get him to rise up. I mean, I got him to scream a couple of times and turn around and yell at me, and then he'd sit back like a little child because he was more like a kid to a degree. He wasn't, he was like a child. He needed somebody to handle him. You know, ever since he was young, he started in his career world as an announcer, you know, before he ever became a, a professional football player. So he had handlers. He wasn't used to the real world. Like when we were in the car one day, he told me, and I've got this on tape. That's one of my tapes. He said he looked at a Walmart store because we were pulling up in front of it. And he all he said was, you know, I've heard of these places. I've never been in one. He said, but I hear you can get anything you want inside of a Walmart. He was fascinated by the store because he'd never stepped foot in one. And I thought that was really interesting that he's never stepped foot in a Walmart. So he didn't have that. He, he never had to deal with anything on his own. It was always just, do this, do that. People tell him what to do. It's like when I was putting him in places, he'd be roaming around. Norman, where are we going? What are we doing? <laughs> he didn't have a clue. And, and we, I put him in the field and said, you're going to be you know, throwing out footballs or you're going to be just signing autographs. Okay. And he'd just sit down. So he just follows people and does what they say. And I think Robert knew enough to have him follow and do what he said. I want to challenge just a little bit because I thought of something. You had mentioned that you tried to deliberately irritate him to see if you could set him off. Yeah. Um, is it possible that because one, you're you don't appear to be a tiny person in the uh, videos I've seen you with OJ, you are not a female, you are not in a different kind of relationship. That perhaps he might react stronger or differently with, uh, let's say, somebody of the opposite gender. Well, I'm not saying that when it comes to a female, he may have you know gotten arguments. He even said he threw Nicole out of his room one time. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying he's an innocent, you know, <laughs> right. a sweetheart type guy. I'm just saying when it comes to someone like Ron, who's a, a, a you know bodybuilder, got it. He would not have confronted Ron on the on the fact and just killed him because that's not the way. It, Ron was big as I am. There's mm -hmm. no, and probably better than I am. He's younger than I am, and <laughs> he's a professional <laughs> fighter, you know. So I don't think OJ would have went and done that to that degree. Just like when he went to Vegas, he didn't go in that room and threaten those people by himself. He had come people beside him that did that. He okay. did the exact same thing in Vegas he did at Nicole's house. He brought Glenn to do the thugging. And he got to use his finger and yell just like he did in Vegas. Okay, so, so he I always think had crews. Just his way he works. Okay, and was that part of your function too while you were managing him? To keep him out of trouble. And to act on his behalf and be the you know intermediary. Yes, you know, people would call me. I would set up the events. I would make sure the security's there. Everything was there to make sure everything went perfectly. In most every event, I would stand in front of him just in case there was some crackpot there to going to shoot him. I didn't want, because I was doing this, to have him hurt because of me. I wanted to know what he was like in public what the public was like around him and what his reaction would be to people yelling murderer, but he would just shrug it all off. Was OJ your full-time job or was he just one of many other things you were doing at the time? One of many other things. I mean, he was sort of a, I guess you could say it to a degree an obsession. I needed to know who killed Nicole and it just, it was sitting in the back and I had to know and I just spent a lot. I spent $1.1 million on this. It wasn't something I just went out for a week and decided I got out of theory on what's going to happen. I mean, I put a $100,000 reward out just for information. 
where people were bringing me stuff. And we accumulated quite a bit. Uh, and it was taken to our Minnesota office. That was cute too. And then I called the Minnesota office and said, I need you to send me down all the stuff that we've been getting from our reward, which if you Google $100,000 reward, it's, it was in the, I think, National Enquirer or Radar, one of them put it right on the front page. And as soon as I called them an hour later, guys in SWAT uniforms busted down the guy's door, threw in flash grenades, he said, and blinded all of them, and took everything with OJ's name off his shelf and left. And to this day, we haven't gotten it back. I do have the, the report from the police stating they took it. We didn't give reasons why or what happened to it. So I knew at that, see, that's what I'm saying. At certain points, I knew I was getting under people's skin because when you call somebody, that meant, you know, at that moment, I knew my phone was bugged. <laughs> and that guy was so cute. He's, he called me up as soon as they got him because, you know, they didn't arrest him. They just swabbed their mouth, he said, kept them on their knees while they were, you know, taking everything. They took crowbars and ripped all the doors open. He said, but he called me up and said, Norm, don't ever call me again. Because, <laughs> wow. uh, wasn't expecting that to happen, you know, and he's like, they just ripped all my doors off and took everything I had just because of your call. Because I just called him. It wasn't an hour. I said, just ship it all down. He said, okay, I'll package it all up and then you'll have it tomorrow. Within an hour, he never got it out of that building. And one of the things he said he had, which was really nice, was a video, an audio cassette of uh, Nicole Brown Simpson's dad, Lou Brown. And on the tapes, they went in depth in how he didn't think OJ had done it. And so we wanted, I wanted that tape. It would have been nice. I wanted all my stuff, <laughs> but you know, we didn't get any of it back. I do have the reports from the police and everything. You can go to Minnesota police and they got it there. They just won't give it back. They claim they don't have it now. They claim, wow, we don't remember taking all that, even though it was on the report. I'm confused though. Why Minnesota police when this is an LA thing? Because we shipped everything to Minnesota. Sure. It wasn't kept in LA. That did bother me a little bit because that means that whoever it was was able to cross border. They got over state lines to get to this. And that did make me a little bit, scared him really bad. The investigator that was up there, it was an investigator's office, startled him because he had never had anything like that happen. And it startled me that because whoever it is can cross lines. You know, I thought by having everything shipped to Minnesota, the California people couldn't mess with it. Right. Was so. it at, in fact state police or I don't know where where it was in Minnesota, but some sort of a SWAT team. And that's all we know. Nobody would identify anything other than that. That's peculiar. And when you're talking about wiretaps, that's also not a um, standard police thing. That sounds closer to FBI. Yes. And part of me thinks it was because of maybe some of the stuff that some of these informants like Glenn Rogers. You know, I don't know how far up they work. So therein lies the problem. When you have a Glenn Rogers saying, oh, no, I work with them. And and his brothers were all part of them and they all worked for them as informants. You don't know what all they really were informing for. And him claim by hits I killed by the, you know, the hired by certain bad people. Can you do a FOIA? Freedom of Information Act? I mean, I, I would Oh, want we did to all that. You're not gonna get it. You're not gonna get anything now from the OJ trial. We finally got the one file of Glenn Rogers and it only or, or Ron Goldman. It started six inches thick when we first had it. The investigator had it in his hand. And then they came out and said, you can't have that. That's sealed and took it from him. And then we finally got it and it was only six pages. So the rest is all gone now. And I didn't even know until, you know, after we had already worked on it, that everything regarding the OJ trial is gone. I think it was Gil Garcetti uh, and somebody else, uh, the judge, 
gave it all to, I think, Gil Garcetti to control or whatever. And I guess after seven years, they claimed that it would burn up somehow. So there's nothing left of the OJ trial. So even if they had a murderer now, there's nothing left from the original evidence. It's all gone. I'm guessing then OJ's attorneys also um, got rid of whatever they had. I don't know what they did. You're not going to get anything from them because he went through so many. And I don't know if OJ's attorney knew anything about anything. I'm not for certain they really knew everything. I have a, a left field question, and it's mostly because of Dodi Fayed, and then it t makes me think of the royal family, and then I think of Florida. So I think of another creep. Was he tied with Epstein? I don't think so. I mean, some people claim that they were, but I don't really think. Okay. I know OJ would have probably known all of them because, you know, he was a celebrity. You know, he was at uh, uh, Trump's wedding with Marla Maple. Mm -hmm. so he, he was around a lot of people. And he golfed with Clinton. Yeah, I don't know about glenn rogers and how far up he went because he can't get any any files open. and glenn's not talking to you no well his son called his son called me up and said you know basically he had talked to his dad and his i think his dad was just wondering how i knew everything when he said he didn't tell anybody and it, so that was an interesting phone call and his his son glenn rogers son seemed to be a nice guy he called me up and said i was talking with my dad he gave me your name i'm like there you go <laughs> So I was hesitant to pick up that phone call. <laughs> like, okay, here we go. Another person. Uh, they're going to probably try to kill me too. Lovely. Do you um do you have Glenn Rogers' letter scanned and available online? Oh, yeah. I got it scanned. It's inside the movie. If you look, the whole letter's in there. Okay. Well, I, I saw pieces of oh, it. No. There, there's a, probably a half dozen letters that are actually in there. But yeah, if you, uh, uh, I think it's actually online now. If you Google Glenn Rogers' letter Norman, it probably would pop up. Okay. And if not, I'll try to see if I can get a link yeah. from you. Yeah. I'll find that. it. I'll find it. I'm sure I've got it somewhere. <laughs> Along with your other terabytes. <laughs> in the movie, I put every one of them because I didn't want anybody to think this is what I want you to believe. I just gave them all the information in the movie. That's what made it so hard to build. I didn't want them to say, oh, this is, I'm leading them down any path. I gave them every bit of the information I had over the 20 years, put it all in there, and they can read each piece and see that everything I said in there was based on facts. I never put anything in there I couldn't back up for the fact. A piece of document, a court document, a letter from Glenn, or a letter from Glenn to maybe his brother, or a letter to Glenn from his mom, or like I've got Glenn Rogers' letters from when he was in school to his mom. I mean, I dug that far back in history. Got his baby pictures. <laughs> Got the picture of his mom wearing the brooch that belonged to Nicole. That's right. You showed that in the movie, which is very interesting. And it wasn't just me who came up with that. In a letter, he said, "Don't take my word for it." You know, if you you know if you look at my mom's picture, you know the brooch she's wearing came from Nicole. He was very very adamant in all of his letters explaining where all these pieces come from and what to do with the other jury because it bothered me that you know what did you do with the other jury and they said he took off all the other jury and used it. He pawned it. And he said the, the, the jury that was pawned in Vegas, the feds have right now. So Nicole's jury, the police, or feds do have that, that he pawned. Because he told me, he said, no, they got it now. It was pawned. So I guess he told them where it was at. But for some reason, nothing seems to be appearing anywhere. Norm, what I'd like to do, because there's so much here that's opened up, and I know that you've made the uh, movie available online to where people can look at it. And I'd like to encourage the audience to actually look at that and save up some questions and then maybe I can bring you back to where viewers can actually ask you questions directly. And maybe I'll bring on an FBI agent or two as well to ask I need you to be questions. challenged. Okay. Well, 
I think it would hey, be let's, a blast. Let's, you can go to, you know, like you say, go to Who Killed Nicole. That's where the website, I don't know if you got it. Whokillnicole.com. Yes, everybody go there. I mean, you don't have to pay for it. I would recommend, though, if you can't go to Amazon Prime and watch the movie there if you have Amazon Prime, because that probably helps Norm out a little bit more. Plus, you no, won't have we don't to... get anything for that, really. Oh, okay. Well, you also don't have to see the print in the bottom of it the whole time. Yeah. So it is a little cleaner on Amazon. Well, yeah, I did put in there, don't copy that one on the one on... <laughs> on uh, yeah, I did it, but... <laughs> Hey, no worries. I think I can copy everything and redo my movie and sell it because I know right now I'm banned in America. They should be banned too. Fair enough. Well, Norman, thank you so much for coming on, and I can't wait to have you back. Okay, same here. I enjoy being on your show. Thanks for listening. And if you like what you heard, please consider subscribing for free. And I mean for free. It is always free. There's no billing, anything else. You can subscribe in your player of choice, which is probably right in your hands. Or you can go to unstructuredpod.com, and there are plenty of links there. Thank you so much. And in the spirit of sharing, here's a couple more shows you may want to check out. Laughter, tears, celebrities, newsmakers, anecdotes, and recipes. Wait, I was wrong. They don't do recipes. You can't hear food. Join host Randall Kenneth Jones, a man who is not the original cowboy in the village people, and announcer Susan C. Bennett, a woman who is the original voice of Siri, every week on Jones.show, a podcast so accessible, its name is a web address, www.jones.show. Hi, this is Kara Mayer Robinson, and I host Really Famous. I interview A-list celebrities. I dive deep because I used to be a therapist. This is what Tim Gunn said. I just have this antipathy for the judges. I can't stand being in the same room with them. Tim Daly. If you're not working in L.A. and you're an actor, there's no worse place to be. Michael Rappaport. I changed schools every year from the third grade to the twelfth grade. Disruptive was my thing. Chaz Palminteri. I knew something was going on. I said, I got to talk to somebody. It's Really Famous. It's like eavesdropping on a therapy session. 